Yo, what up, guys? Welcome back to Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. I am your host, Zach Norris. And today, in the newest episode of Booyaka Show, we are going to be talking Ninja Turtle comics, one of my favorite subjects about Ninja Turtles these days. And to help me talk about Ninja Turtles comics, we are... We. Not we. To talk Ninja Turtle comics, I've brought in a good buddy of mine. His name is TJ Shevlin. TJ, how are you, my friend? Doing great. How's it going, brother? I'm chilling, buddy. Thank you for being on this episode. Yeah, my pleasure. Of course, of course. So, TJ, we're here to talk about Turtle Comics, but before we talk about Turtle Comics, we've got to let the world know about you, and we've got to let the world know why you're here talking Turtle Comics with me. So, give us a little bit about yourself. All right. So, um, I live out here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. I've been out here for five years now, but... uh, much like the Ninja Turtles, I am a product of the greatest city in the world. I'm born and raised in New York City <laughs> uh, from up in the Bronx, grew up down in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, uh, comics and uh, pop culture, all that, just a huge part of a uh, huge part of me. So and Turtles are a major part of that. Excellent, dude. Excellent. So I met TJ a few years ago. Um, actually, I think it's going on four years now. Four years now, yep. Yeah, so I met TJ when I visited the San Diego Comic Art Gallery, where TJ was working, and TJ was actually an instrumental part in helping me interview Kevin Eastman for The Hundreds, which is an experience that was great for me, um, hopefully great for Kevin, but it is still an, an experience that is still paying off to this day. Um, because a, my friendship with TJ has lasted this long and B, because it has led me to other places and helped me meet other people and do cool things with the turtles. So, uh, it's actually part of the reason I'm here doing this podcast. So thanks again for that, bud. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy to do it. So you worked at the San Diego comic art gallery. Um, I, I opened it. You opened it. Now what are you doing? All right. So, um, uh, real fast, I uh, I, op- I opened and ran the San Diego Comic Art Gallery uh, for IDW Publishing. Um, I opened it with Kevin Eastman. Uh, I managed it. He curated it. We took care of all the artwork, all the exhibits. So that was an experience, you know, unlike any other. Uh, now I work for Super 7, which is a really, really rad toy and apparel company. Um, they're based, based out of San Francisco. We've got our store down here in San Diego. So I'm running the store, getting to do some cool, uh, internal consulting on other projects there. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, getting to do some really, uh, rad stuff with a bunch of rad properties. Excellent, dude. Excellent. I've, I'm actually, uh, very excited that you have this job because, uh, throughout the span of our friendship, uh, like most people, we've both had our ups and downs. Um, you and I have been through some ups and downs together. For sure. What I am always excited about is, well, I wasn't excited about the comic art gallery kind of shifting uh, directions. And I wasn't excited that your job there came to an end. But when you got into the gig at Super 7, I was very excited because I know if there's anything that you love as much as comic books, it would be toys. Toys for probably sure. a close second. Definitely. Um, so I was excited for you because some people, uh, some people, A, never get to work a dream job, if you want to call it that. And then some people, you know, they might work a dream job, lose it, and then 
never get anything really close to that again. And yeah. so I feel like you were you've worked in the comics industry. You worked for a great company in IDW. Uh, you worked with Kevin Eastman, the man. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about turtles if it wasn't for him. So you worked with Kevin, and although that has, uh, you know, there's there's been a pause in that relationship. You're now doing something just as dope. So I'm I'm hyped for you, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, it's not, you know, nothing. There was no. You know, when it was my time at IDW was up, it, there was no bad blood with, you know, any of the people that I love there, obviously. I still have great relationships with a ton of people there. And awesome. I'm just always happy to see, you know, really cool people make really cool comics and do uh, things that they love with it. And that's all you can hope for anybody when it comes to all of this stuff, because uh, pop culture to me is passion. And yes. all of us are really passionate about this stuff. Absolutely. So it's just a matter of sharing it together. Absolutely, man. And I'm glad you said really cool comics because we're here today to talk about yes. what are, in my opinion, really cool comics. Um, so before we dive in to our Turtles discussion, um, we've talked about what you've done work-wise, but I want to talk about, you know, first off, what got you into comics and along, along with what got you into comics, what got you into Turtles? Because I sure. am... Um, I am 30 years old, and like I've talked about many times before on this show, I caught Turtle Mania um, at a time in my life where I was probably too young to understand exactly what Turtle Mania was. Uh, I was two and three years old and just had action figures and clothes and was watching VHSs. You are quite a few years older than me. Um, yes. I'm not trying to date you or anything. No, it's all good. It's all good. So I feel like you saw... You know, you saw Turtle Mania for what it was, which for was sure. absolute mania. So tell me about how you got into comics and tell me about how you got into Turtles. So I'm 37 years old and um, I was, you know, there are two initial Turtle audiences during the 80s. There is the first initial audience, which is the Mirage Readers, you know, and then there is the second one, which is the kids who came on for the cartoon in the toy line. And clearly I was the one for the cartoon in the toy line and it was perfect timing. It could not have been better. Um, be, what is this? 87, 88. So I'm a six, seven year old kid. Yeah. And I, I mean, just, it was, you know, when you're a little kid, you think whatever you're into is new. So, you know, for me, Batman was new. Right. You know, and Spider-Man was new and and all of that. And clearly, you know, by 1987, 88, Batman had been around at that point for uh, 50 years. Yeah. Spider-Man at that point had been around for 20 years. So, or, you know, 20 almost. But at any rate. Well, uh, you're, you're new to the world as a kid. So, every, like you're saying, everything's everything. new to you. But right. the Turtles was new very new it it was brand spanking new and it was just the coolest thing you couldn't be on a playground or at a lunch table or on the street corner whatever without (laughs) talking to a kid about the turtles so just the very idea of that was the coolest thing plus you know um it took place in new york so for me that was really cool too because every sewer every sewer cap Every sewer grate, oh, that's where the turtles are. Right. That, that, it was a potential adventure. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So that was really cool. I'm but, also imagining you talking about being on the street corner. I'm imagining a bunch of like 
five to ten year old kids like on the street corner but doing like barbershop talk about the turtles oh yeah oh did you see this latest episode this guy freaking (laughs) raf what's up with him no it's it's so funny like uh it's just one of those things that you know for us it's it's the same reason you know every kid who grew up in new york loves spider-man you know he's he's our guy and you know the marvel universe is funny because just about every marvel character is based out of New York City and you know all different areas obviously the X-Men up in Westchester, Doctor Strange in Greenwich Village, uh the Avengers in Midtown, so on and so forth. But you know Spidey's just New York City as a whole and yeah. that's what's cool about the Turtles is the Turtles are New York City as a whole. And so it was just one of those things that really I I latched on to early. Those toy commercials were cool. Um the mini series for the cartoon was cool, you know, and then you know everything else, uh, crunchy bungas, the turtle pies. I, I you know, the cereal. I have no idea what a crunchy bunga. Crunchy bungas, man. That, that was the <laughs> the pizza, the pizza chips. Oh, okay. And word. they were super dope, and they had that rad claymation commercial. So right, I loved right. that as a kid. But I mean, comics. I, I just started like almost every other kid. It was um, superhero cartoons on TV, superhero action figures in my hand, and superhero movies. And I was obsessed with anything superheroes. Um, really, it was it was just dudes in capes and tights fighting each other is what I was into. Because it was superhero comics and it was pro wrestling. Word. So it was just... And this is the 80s. It's that perfect era for both of those things right there. Um, comics couldn't get enough of Spider-Man, obviously. Uh, Robin was a big one. Batman's cool. But when you're a kid looking for a character that you can be... Uh, don't ever underestimate the power of what Robin is there. So that was always really cool. But the Turtles were just, I mean, how are they not this massive thing that changes your life in 1988? Absolutely. And something that I think, uh, I'm glad you brought that up about a bunch of heroes being from New York because it, you know, it, it makes sense because New York's a big city. It gives you a very big, very vibrant, very uh, diverse backdrop to have all these heroes. Um, but there's, you know, there's not a lot of heroes from everywhere else. Like, I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. There's not, as far as I know, the only superhero from Fayetteville, North Carolina at this point is J. Cole. And not yeah. even everybody would consider that guy a superhero. I don't know, man. I, you know, everybody's a hero to everybody. And right. that's a huge... Uh, source of power for hip hop. So absolutely, that's super cool. But one thing that I I love about you bringing that up is most of the heroes that we see in New York are you know they're all dudes that can fly. They're all they're dudes that can swing between buildings. They're your like traditional superheroes, right? Yep. And they live in like the big above ground, up in the sky, like pretty aspects of the city. Um, it's for me, it's not really till you get to guys like. Uh, Spider-Man in certain instances and Daredevil mm-hmm. and cats that are like kind of street level where yep. you see like the grittiness. Power Man and Iron Fist, Shang-Chi. Right. But the thing I love about Turtles... Even Nightwing in a sense. It, in a sense, right? The thing I love about Turtles is they live and operate underneath the city. Mo- most times, you know, like their lair is underground, they move underground. And then, so it's like you... Through these mutant turtles, you kind of see the opposite side of like pretty superhero business because yeah. normal superheroes get to be out and about and they've got they've got their, you know, secret identities and you know what other personas like not everybody's out there and they know who they are, but 
you see Superman and you're like, oh, Superman, like that, he's handsome and strong. We like that guy. You don't see the Ninja Turtles and go, oh, you know, so they're, they're, to me, just as much a superhero team as like any of these other people, but they don't have that same uh, respect, you know what I mean? Because they have to live in the shadows. Also, a big part of that too is they don't wear capes and tights. They absolutely don't. You know? Um, Shells and bandanas. Right on, right on. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because when you when you look at those characters, um, you know, Superman is an interesting choice, for example, because there's always this preconceived notion that Superman, because he comes from another planet, and, and this is the only character we do this to, like even the Martian Manhunter doesn't get this. Superman, because he's from another planet, He's not one of us. And people push that harder on Superman than they do on a character like Martian Manhunter, who looks, who's this big, tall, green dude with a giant, Who clearly you know, looks like he's not from here. Yeah, a giant, big eyebrow. But we always have to, and I use the loose we, we always have to remind people that Superman isn't one of us because he looks like one of us. And I, I've never liked that. Mm-hmm. I, I always think that undersells the importance of Clark being one of us. Right. And um, I do think that sometimes people don't treat the turtles enough as one of us because of how they look. And one of the strengths over, uh, you know, the course of time that IDW has been publishing these turtle comics is um, all the work that Tom and Kevin and Bobby and all of those guys, all the entire art team has done on there is, you know, they, start to remind you what the most important word in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is. And for the longest time, it was always the turtle part. Mm -hmm. And then for another time, it was the mutant part. And then it was the ninja part. And it's really not until recently that they're getting to be real tangible teenagers. And and in 30 plus years, um, they've always felt like what a parody of a teenager is, or they act young, but they're not really teens. And, and it's amazing to see them get to be teenagers. Because to me, this is, even the live action movie, which I, you know, love to the moon and back, um, you know, th- what the IDW books have done and what the Nickelodeon cartoon have done is truly let them be teenagers. And nobody has ever really manage to do that in a way where they feel like real teenagers. Right. I I couldn't agree more. And I um perfect place to segue as we talk now about, <laughs> you know, IDW comics, but that's um I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is the kind of it's it's very rare for an iteration to to touch on all four things and touch on them in uh equally yeah. and to really flesh out, you know, these these characters are teenagers. They, I mean, clearly the mutant turtle part, it's, it's easy to, to grasp. You get it right there on the surface. You know what I mean? Um, the ninja stuff in certain iterations is stronger or weaker. The teenager stuff in certain iterations is stronger or weaker. Um, uh, and like you're saying, I feel like the, the 1990 movie does a really, really good job of showing us that these guys are a family and that they are young brothers who have lost their father. Mm-hmm. I love that aspect, but at the same time, maybe besides Mikey, they don't really sound like teenagers. Yeah. You know? And and I'm not going to sit here and nitpick that movie because it's near perfect to me. For sure. Um, oh, and I'm going to have to edit that. I'm going to have to edit out that because we do, 
Yeah. Booyaka show is kid friendly. So <laughs> this is going to be the first time I have to edit myself Dolphin out. Dolphin noise but, in front of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I absolutely adore the IDW comics and the 2012 Nickelodeon show for those exact reasons is we yeah. see them be teenagers and brothers and family, maybe more so than any version that's come before. And as I, as I do this rewatch for Booyaka show, I was telling um, Katie and telling another friend that the, the 2012 version of Splinter Dude, he might be the splinter. For sure. He might absolutely be the splinter. Just because you get the the perfect balance, uh, in my opinion, the perfect balance of master splinter, of sensei splinter, and father splinter, mm-hmm. and dad. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not just father, he's dad. Yeah. You know, that's pops. And and, and it's, it's one of those things that I think is really cool because, um, and I can say this certainly from experience, um, one of the cool things about, and this happens everywhere, you know, this isn't strictly limited to growing up in New York City, but anybody who listens to this who grew up in New York knows there's always that one kid where, like, the mom or the dad kind of takes all the friends in. They eventually feed all of them. Fine, you can crash here for the night. You know, it's, it's all the, or, you know, they treat them like they treat their kids and get mad at them when they do stupid things as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they captured that so well with Splinter in there in the way they took April in and the way they took Casey in, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's always nice to see that uh, it's not just, okay, Splinter is their father. He's their dad. And when you're that kind of parent, when you're the dad, you also have love for your kids' friends. Right. You know, because they make up who they are too. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the important distinctions that the IDW comic makes. And maybe uh so let's let's jump to that. Let's sure. we're we're gonna narrow this focus down to TMNT comics. Um, right on because talk about that cartoon all day. We'll oh, save it for another yeah, one. And yeah, a future episode for sure. <laughs> so with the TMNT comics, there's so many things that they do right yeah. with IDW's run. Uh, now 93 issues deep. We're gonna talk about issue 93 here in a bit. But one of the things that I feel like they do so right is the boys' relationship with Splinter. Even after the relationship splintered, pun intended. Waka waka. Right? They, I've never seen, uh, and I haven't, I haven't, you know, read every single comic. I haven't watched every single episode of the show. Um, I've never seen them have a fractured relationship. Mm-hmm. And when Splinter takes over the Foot Clan and starts kind of leading in a way that Leo and the boys don't agree with, we very much see them become, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're enemies at, at certain points. Um, and we've just recently seen them start to come back together, but they still represent, you know, they still represent separate clans right now. You know, the, yeah. the boys are calling themselves the Hamato clan and, Splinter is leading the Foot Clan. Um, but again, I think the, the, the overall thing, and you and I have talked about this many times, the overall thing that I think is my favorite aspect of the IDW comics is that they absolutely nail the family aspect of this. From, from the first arc on, you know, the first arc is everybody's mutated. 
Raph is missing because old Hob kind of ran off with him. Um, and then he mutated by himself and he's lost. The turtles are looking for him. And so it's like before, before Leo, Donnie, and Mikey even know that they, that they have a brother or who he is or how much they care about him, how much they love him, Splinter is already beating them over the head with, you have another brother. He's out there missing. We need to find him and we need to protect him. We need to you know, bring him into this. And so from early on, you're seeing this is the type of leader this guy is. This is the type of father this guy is. This is the type of uh, mentor and sensei he's going to be is teaching these guys how to be a family. Um, and I think one of, you know, I feel like I'm going to jump all over the place trying to point out examples or whatever. It's all but, good. But one of, the, one of my favorite issues was one of the Christmas issues where Splinter was no longer with the boys and he like snuck over to the house to see them on Christmas and they were like asleep in their beds yep. or whatever. And New you get to chucks. see, dude, you get to see each turtle's uh, bedroom yeah. and the little things that make them them. And it's, to me, it was telling to see how the boys, um, without Splinter in their life, to see how they still treat each other and treat their friends. And I feel like, that is because of how Splinter raised them and how he trained them and how they taught them. Yeah. They know that we need to care and love and be loyal to each other and protect our friends because our friends are essentially our family. And even though we might be at odds with our father right now, he's still family. So I just, I love the, the characterization of the IDW turtles. I love the evolutions they've all gone through. Yeah. And I just, Tom Waltz, Kevin Eastman, the art teams, uh, Bobby Curnow, mm-hmm. um, Rhonda Patterson, always steady on the colors. Uh, I one don't of the know. unsung heroes on the Turtles book. Absolutely one of the unsung heroes. That book heroes. is consistent as far as look goes because of her work. You know, she works with so many different artists, and she has a different color steez for each of them, but somehow she keeps everything corralled in. Nothing but respect yeah, for Rhonda Patterson. Her work Patterson. is crispy. Um, who does the letters? Do you know? Uh, I think I think it's uh, Sean Lee. Okay. Um, I feel like a jerk for not knowing. No, I think I it's Sean. It? And uh, if uh, if Sean ends up listening to this and uh, he hears me say I think it's him, I'm sorry, buddy. I swear I know it's you. I, I'm Sean. I'm sorry because I don't 100% know it's you. So I'm just riding with TJ on this one. Yep, it's Sean. Okay, cool. So um, the creative team, um, although. Sometimes if I'm going to be 100% honest, which I try to be when doing this podcast, I don't always love the art, um, but I think it's just, it's just personal style choices, sure. you know, that there hasn't ever been bad TMNT art to me. Um, there has been great TMNT art to me. And so to segue into our next kind of thing, um, TMNT artist, Matea Santaloco. My favorite artist, maybe my favorite Turtles artist ever. Yeah, I can't, I don't know if I can disagree with that. And you have been drawn by him. (laughs) Yeah. So for those of you at home that don't know, TJ Shevlin, again, he worked technically for IDW. Not technically, I did. um, Yeah, he literally worked for IDW when he was running the San Diego Comic Art Gallery. And... 
TJ Shevlin has appeared in multiple issues. He is an in-canon, in-world, in-lore, whatever you want to call it. TJ Shevlin is part of the TMNT IDW yes. universe as Dr. Shevlin. Uh, <laughs> do you know exactly what issues? I believe it is uh, TMNT issue 66, I believe, is my first appearance. And then there was a recent one, too. Yeah, I, I was also... I want to say it was late 80s. Yeah, I think it's like 88 or 80. 88 or 89. So you have been drawn by my favorite turtle artist, mm-hmm. Matea Santaloco. That's right. And you've also been drawn by Michael Dialinus. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that last name yes. right. But so again, ladies and gentlemen, be very jealous of TJ because he is a character in IDW's TMNT run, a, a achieve, an achievement that I am, uh, very jealous of, but also excited for my friend that he is part of the part of the world, and I hope to one day achieve this same goal. Also, um, uh, Doctor Shevlin is also in uh, Bebop and Rocksteady Hit the Road, mm. so uh, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um, I'm digging that for sure. I think that's really cool. Well, you can definitely consider color me jealous, and <laughs> then sure. I'm sure there's going to be people who listen to this, and they will also be. Uh, excited but jealous of you so props on that my man thank um, you um if you're wondering if you want to desperately see me so bad it's uh volume 17 of the trade paperbacks uh desperate measures uh i appear in desperate measures part two so it's pretty sweet you are you're an employee of the epf i am correct? the chief scientist the chief scientist the of chief the scientist of the epf you- you traitor. Oh, man. Well, from the way you I... Hurt, you hurt me so. I know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my, uh, my character, his job was to uh, uh, torture and perform experiments on the animals and the mutants for Agent Bishop. And um, when... So, I'll tell you the story. So, this was really Please cool. Do. When this got... Uh, when I got surprised with this, um, it, it, it was super, super cool and extremely flattering um, a bunch of different IDW employees have been put into different IDW titles over the years, which is always something really cool. You never really get tired of that sort of thing. Absolutely. I, I'm actually, I'm in two books. I'm in Transformers, and oh, then I nice. mentioned once in an issue of Ghostbusters. Very cool. So apparently there was, um, my toilet ate my dog up in the Bronx. <laughs> so shout out to Eric Burnham for that. Thanks, buddy. But um, it's... Uh, Bobby uh, came to me about that and he sent me the page over uh, Messenger and all that and I was super blown away and he was like yeah that you know it's uh, Waltz and Kevin and him you know that was all them and um, it's cool because I got to do a lot of things at IDW but everything comes back to Turtles for me no matter what it is Um, the it's just it's so cool and it's so flattering and it's extremely humbling, and there is nothing cooler than, and this is the weirdest sentence I will ever say, uh, <laughs> there's nothing cooler than uh, a naked Mondo Gecko beating you up in a men's bathroom <laughs> for your security card. Uh, not something everybody can say, for you sure. Know? And it's cool because the security card, uh, they used my IDW staff photo on that, so like, the, there's an actual picture of me in that issue as well as the drawn version of me very cool but really i have to say this real fast because i would be amiss 
as an uncle for not bringing this up, okay. my nephew was like my, my whole family thought it was really cool. If there's any spike in sales on that story, it's because everybody in New York and New Jersey, friends, family, all that, were all buying this book. So I very love them all. Rad, very but rad. my nephew just could not get over the fact that not only is his uncle in a comic book, but he's a turtle character. And for his show and tell class, he brought in the issue that his uncle first appears in, and he was clearly cooler than every other kid in that class. So props number one there. And then I was just back home this past February, and he drew a Dr. Shevlin picture and had it turned into a t-shirt for me. So I have that shirt. So um, by the time you guys hear this, there will be a picture of that up on my Instagram so you can see how dope my nephew is. Very cool. Very cool. And we'll we'll do social media stuff at the end so people know where to find you. But yeah, um, read them and weep, boys. (laughs) TJ Shevlin is is a Ninja Turtles character, and I love him for it, and I'm jealous of him. I'll tell you, there's only one other. There's two things I want to happen with Dr. Shevlin, and I'm throwing this out there. Uh, one, I either want him to get killed off in like the coolest fashion ever, and I don't know what, but just I want it to be awesome. Okay. But number two, and this is the more important one, hopefully he gets turned into a mutant. So number uh, one, so or rather part A, he gets what's coming to him. Right. And part B, hopefully we eventually get an action figure. Dude, I need a Dr. Shevlin action Right? Figure. Who doesn't need a Dr. Shevlin? Okay. All right, well, I'm going to stop making myself jealous now, and uh, we are going to talk um, a bit, again, more, more probably some general IDW stuff will probably slip in here, but the, the reason we're doing this podcast specifically, this Turtles Comics podcast specifically, is because I want to talk about one book that is currently running alongside the ongoing and then we're going to talk about the ongoing, the latest issue. We just, today is Wednesday, April, what is it? 20 O'Neill. <laughs> today is Wednesday, April 24th. And today was the release of TMNT number 93, which is City at War Part 1. So we're going to talk about City at War Part 1. Yep. But before we jump into that, we've got to talk about Mateo Santoloco's Shredder in Hell. For sure. Something that when it was announced, I immediately was hyped because of all the great things that this IDW run has given us as Turtle fans. I mean, Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman and the art teams and Bobby, they've created such a deep and expansive Turtles world. It's absolutely incredible. It's just as, it might be the biggest Turtles world maybe since the original run or the original cartoons. Yeah, right? It's it's just huge. We've gotten characters we've you know known from the past, characters we love, new characters like Dr. Shevlin. Um <laughs> so this book has given us so much. This is one of the I'm not a very consistent comic book reader in terms of, you know, a lot of different comics, but I have from the year 2011, it was a little off and on at one point, but for the past Four or five years, I have been reading this Ninja Turtles book month after month, issue after issue, loving every single second of it. And one of the best things we've got out of this has been not only Mateus Santoloco's art in various arcs, but Secret History of the Foot as a miniseries. A wonderful, wonderful miniseries. 
incredibly well written. Love the love the twist they put on the turtles' origins. Love the uh, twists or new like depth they've added to Shredder's origin. And now in Shredder in Hell, we've we've come full circle. We we saw how Shredder in the foot started. We saw once he, you know, once we got into the future with the turtles coming back, we saw how they got wrapped up with the Rokusaki in the foot. We saw Rokusaki be defeated by the turtles in Splinter. We literally saw this dude lose his head, uh, which is something I never thought I would see. You know, same with Mikey. D- same with Mikey, and maybe that's why we're so. Mikey and I are, are. We share a lot of things, I think, but to to see Rokusaki lose his head. And that was crazy enough. And then Splinter's like, we're going to take over the Foot Clan. That's what we're going to do now. Crazy issue. That's issue number 50. If y'all haven't read that somehow, jump back to that arc. I think it starts at... Sleeping. You're super sleeping if you haven't read that. But I think it starts at 44 or 45. Maybe it's those five or six yeah, issues. Yeah, uh, Vengeance is that story arc. Okay. Um, but, I mean, if you if you haven't read any of this stuff, go back and read all of it. It's all fantastic. But... um. Secret History of the Foot was great. Really, really added some depth to the Foot Clan. Um, just gave you more to sink your teeth into them as an organization and as a, you know, a clandestine uh, organization. And now with Shredder and Hill, we're literally seeing Oroku Saki make his way through Hell. Not a metaphorical Hell, but actual Hell, the place. And it is wonderful. It seems like it, it looks like Mateus was given the keys to the castle and they were like, we want something dark. We want something spooky. We want something grotesque. Cause dude, there's like a lot of body horror type stuff in this, a lot of spooky kind of, excuse me, a lot of surreal imagery, a lot of kind of scary looking stuff. Um, but, what I feel like we're getting is as much as the imagery looks hellish and scary and otherworldly, the story that we're getting out of this, I feel like is going to end up being really powerful, dude, because I feel like the way they're, it looks like what they're trying to do right now. If I'm, if I'm picking up the right breadcrumbs is I feel like we might be getting some kind of shredder redemption arc. Some kind of, you know, because when when Splinter kills Orokusaki, he tells him, I just want to show you the dream again. And I'm paraphrasing. That's probably not exactly right. But it's about right, though. They talk about their dream of, you know, their, their friends in the Foot Clan. Their dream is, you know, establishing the Foot Clan as this, you know, powerful organization and, you know, being best friends and ruling. And somewhere along those lines, Orokusaki loses that dream. And Splinter tells him, I might be about to cut your head off, but I'm going to show you the dream again. And so we start off in this first issue of Shredder in Hell, where Orokusaki's spirit is joined on this journey through Hell by Hamato Yoshi. Which, and they don't explain if it's like an astral projection of Hamato Yoshi, or if it's some kind of... Um, you know, afterlife kind of manifestation of Hamato Yoshi, but we see Splinter in rat form um, at one point as his mutant rat form and then very much like an actual rat. creature rat. Yeah. Um, 
but he's he seems like some kind of spirit guide for Oroku Saki. Uh, so what do you make of that? What do you where do you think they're playing at here? I like the idea of it. Um, I mean, there's so much symbolism in uh, Japanese uh, mythological culture. So the idea of Shredder having to take this journey through hell, um, there has to be some type of good tether that can help get him out of this. If that's what this is, if it's him getting out of hell physically or getting out of hell into, you know, heaven, the light side, whatever you want to call it. But uh, if anybody, you know, deserves a shot at redemption, you know, well, everybody does, truthfully. But uh, I think it's interesting to see Orokasaki as the protagonist. Very. You know, we do, this is something that we don't get. It's something that you don't expect. And then when you're done with the first issue, you don't realize, oh, this is kind of something I want. Right. You know, even though Shredder is the, you know, greatest turtle bad guy of all time, probably one of the top 50 best comic book villains of all time. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, and a villain who was a throwaway villain, like real talk. Literally first issue, he is killed and thrown away. Yeah, so it's amazing <laughs> to see how much this character has endured and he's lasted. And um, uh, what I, I'm interested to see how this goes for Shredder. I, I I mean, spoiler alert: the ending to the first issue. Can I say it? Yeah, we're gonna because we're gonna talk about issue one and issue two. Okay. Spoiler alert: if you guys haven't, I mean, if you guys haven't read these now, issue one I think is two months old. Issue two is a month old. Yeah. So get get to it, but. That first issue, the end with uh, the creepy, like, hell version of the Ninja Turtles Dude. is Nightmare Fuel number one. Um, Mateus is absolutely my favorite Ninja Turtle artist of all time. Um, he, he, he draws what I want IDW Turtle action figures to look like. That, that uh. He's the definitive IDW Turtle artist, and that's not a shot at anybody else. It's my own personal preference. And um, But all of them, they all bring their A-game to it, but... Uh, there's something about Mateus's work that just sings to me in a way that uh, certain artists for other characters do the same for. And um, it's not just seeing these creepy iterations of the Turtles, but their dialogue in there, mm. it's so unsettling. And when I read comic books... I hear voices for the characters in my head, whether it's definitive voice actor versions of them or yeah, yeah. the way my head thinks they sound. And the Turtles, even in the IDW series, are the Nickelodeon voices. Okay. And But I'm reading this, and I hear their voices with this weird, creepy, almost hollow echo to them. Mm. Because there's just something so frighteningly unsettling about they, them in there. At, dude, I think it's... They look... Mateus has drawn the turtles how he usually draws the turtles. Yeah. They very much have... You see their personality and their face and their builds and their eyes, but their it's eyes the same. are like pupilless and glowing. glowing. Their, their fingers have kind of claw-like Claws, fingernails. Yeah. And their 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 teeth are like shark teeth. They're very everything in- about them is like nightmarishly over exaggerated. Yeah, and, and I I like that. I love it. It's some. It's it's like you said about Shredder being a good guy. It's something I didn't know I wanted, 
But now that it's here, I'm like, oh man, why have we never got like zombie hell turtles before? You know. Well, you know, we all the reason why we all love Darth Vader's story so much is because in the end he gets redemption, and in the end he he is given a second chance in death. Yeah. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with a story like that being told for Shredder. Um, Mateus with um, Secret History of the Foot Clan. Uh, you know, the story that he came up with for there, he, he it is obvious he's not just a comic book artist, he's a storyteller. And absolutely. and that's not to say that all comic book artists aren't, because they absolutely are. But he, he really does come into this with the the mind of a writer and the eye of an artist. And, and it's so cool that um, he's doing this on his own, because uh, Secret History he did with uh, Eric Burnham, he kind of helped I, I with the language Shaping, barrier yeah. and kind of get everything going. And, you know, Eric is just, I mean... You know, I'll, I'm cheap plug. If you're not reading Ghostbusters from IDW, uh, again, another consistently good licensed title, and so much of that comes from uh, the consistent team of uh, Eric Burning and Dan Schoening, uh Just you know, slam dunk every single time. So, um, but yeah, it, it's so neat to see Shredder on the end of now. You're worried for him. But you don't want to worry for him because you know what kind of person he is. I, I also like it. But because, do you know what kind of person he is? Right. And you know what I what I like is it seems like we're getting some kind of redemption story. It seems like we're getting something that a, a story that might, um, it might repair and or strengthen his relationship with Hamato Yoshi. Like I, it'll certainly strain it with cry. Right. I imagine this. Not that it isn't already. Right. I imagine him going through this thing and having Splinter as this kind of spirit guide, and it almost, you know, repairing the the cracks in their relationship. But it's cool too because we're also seeing him, you know, pay for his sins. Um, you know, we're seeing him be visited by these, you know, zombie hell turtles and all these people that he's killed and. Um, you know, other members of other gangs that he's done battle with. And um, it's almost, it kind of feels like, um, oh, geez, what's the, what's the, uh, the Christmas movie with Ebenezer Scrooge? Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol. And or, you know, the book Ghost by Charles Dickens. Sorry, yes. I that book. Um, you would be old enough to remember that it's a wow. Bit. That was <laughs> sorry. That was, that was a low blow. But no. So they. I deserved it. It it feels like we're getting kind of like a that that kind of story. A, a ghost of your past, a ghost of the present, and maybe a ghost of the future. Yeah. So before we move on, I want to ask you one last question about sure. this. If we are indeed reading a Orokusaki redemption story, um, because at the end of issue two. He's confronted by, uh, he's confronted by the original warrior, uh, Takeshi Tatsuo, the original warrior who was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The original host of the dragon, yeah, Lord Spirit or whatever. If we are indeed watching a redemption story or reading a redemption story, if Shredder is quote unquote redeemed at the end of this and either comes back to life in a physical sense. Or if he does come back to life in a physical sense and is redeemed as a character and is kind of viewed as a good guy, how do you see his relationship with Hamato Yoshi and the Turtles going forward? Um, or is that just too... 
I don't know. That's interesting because I think there are a lot of variables. Um, you have to remember if he does come back and he is redeemed and he's a good guy, um, no matter what the foot may be, we all know what the foot represents. Right. And Splinter is running that. Right. And also, too. Maybe the shoe's on the other foot now. I see you. I also think I'm it would be saying. interesting because you might convince Splinter that he's redeemed and you might see them reforge some kind of bond. But how do you... I don't know how you would sell that to Splinter because Splinter was murdered. Splinter and his sons were murdered by Rokusaki. They were yeah. executed. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to square away like, yo, this dude went through hell and now he's redeemed. But how do you square that with the turtles? Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be interesting, man. I'm very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I, I can totally see Leo trying to look at the spiritual side of things. Donnie's going to try, you know, look at this logically. Um, I don't see Wrath. Can't see him coming on. Buying on, this at all. Or uh, Mikey. You know, the Mikey part is interesting. I, I think Mikey would struggle. Um, Mikey has what I believe is the Peter Parker moral compass. Uh, he definitely has the biggest heart. Mm-hmm. The, it, there's right and there's wrong if you do not do the right thing it makes you complicit and if you have the ability to do the right thing you do something right and you know that's it's the spidey thing it's power and responsibility it's all that stuff and um mikey wants to believe that everybody is inherently good because it's not even that he's the youngest he still believes that there's good in the world and if somebody has a second chance at being good we should give them a second chance as well but because it's the Shredder, I could see Mikey struggling with that. I could definitely see Mikey struggling with that. You know? And that's one of the reasons why he's the most interesting turtle in this idea. I, he is my, you know, Mikey was always my favorite turtle because he was goofy and he was funny. And the older I've gotten, the more I, I love Mikey because his his heart is so big. And he, in a world of just awful, awful things, he still believes that there's good out there. and that we should not just be protecting good, but we should also be cultivating good. Absolutely. You know, he wants, he wants to be a superhero mm-hmm. in, in like the, the truest and best way. You know, like, you know how there are some athletes where they're like, oh, I'm not a role model. And then there are others where it's like, no, I'm absolutely a role model. And here's why I'm doing these things. That's Mikey. Yep. You absolutely. know, so I, I love that. So transitioning from, Shredder in Hell now to City at War. Yes. City at War is the big, big event arc mm-hmm. that we've been waiting for. We are, it is going to run from issue 93 to issue 100. Um, that was confirmed for me by Tom Waltz on Twitter. Shout out Tom Waltz. Um, Hi, Tom. <laughs> but so we've got, I think, is it, if this was 93, what is that, six issues? Yeah. It's 94, 95, 96. Oh, so eight issues. Math. Yeah, I'm terrible at math. Same here. Um, so we've got an eight-issue arc that is going to essentially be a giant gang war between all these factions that have been built up. Yep. Um, I am very excited. It is obviously a callback to the original City of War, which, please don't crucify me, but I've never... Never read the original City at War. At some point, you should. It's awesome. I want to, and I've been grabbing single issues here and there when I can find them that are they're they're not an arm and a leg. The big return of Peter and Kevin. 
Yeah, is, yeah exactly. Uh, City of Orb. So yeah, I'm trying to find those and I will have all of them one day and read them. But I am excited for this City at War because A, I know how big of a deal the last one was in the Mirage stuff. Um, and I know that this one is going to be a big deal, not only because we're going to hit issue 100, but because Shredder in Hell supposedly runs parallel with it and is going to connect to it. And because, I mean, not only every, every issue that comes out for Turtles is a new mark in history because they hit the longest run after 73 or whatever it was. So literally each new issue is a kind of historic occasion for Turtles, but not a lot of comics nowadays hit issue 100. Yeah. And so I'm really excited for the, the event that is going to be issue 100, but also the, the event that is going to be this arc that is city at war. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Splinter running the foot. Why, what is Karai going to do? How are the turtles going to handle this balancing act of, you know, trying to fight Karai, trying to defend their father, trying to defend themselves, but also having to potentially fight their father if need be, fighting, the, fighting and helping the mutanimals, fighting the EPF. There's so much... So many different factions, so so many things at stake. Um, issue ninety three, we might have already had our first casualty. We we saw Jenica get stabbed by. Uh, spoiler alert! If you haven't read issue ninety three yet, read it. Um, but we saw Jenica get stabbed by Karai. Now, did you happen to read issue ninety two? I did. My I guess my only little flaw so far between ninety two and ninety three is I understand why Karai was upset at Splinter, mm-hmm. and I understand why them having the kids not become future Foot Clan troops. I understand why that was a, a sticking point or a, you know, a, place, a point for them to be stuck on and argue about and not agree with. But I, I just don't know if I believe Karai Coming back from Japan after, you know, she watched Shredder get his head cut off. She immediately was just like, Hamato Yoshi, you're the dude. I submit. We have a truce. He sends her off to Japan to, you know, work on herself and work on being a leader. She does that. She comes back. They talk twice and they hate each other again. So that's, that's my one little gripe okay. is, is that I'm, I wish there was maybe a little bit more of a buildup to their explosion. But now that the explosion is here, I am very interested because I, I love this version of Karai. Yeah. And I feel like they've given a lot of depth to her that, you know, she hasn't had the chance to build on in previous iterations. I think we're going to get a lot out of her regarding her, uh, hatred for splinter. If there's one thing that Waltz and Kevin and Bobby are really good at, it's, it's planting seeds. Absolutely. You know? So I, I think this is still something that has to gestate. So, uh, for me, I, I, I'm willing to give that a little bit of time for sure. Oh, and, and, and that's, that's why I'm excited to see this unfold over eight issues instead of four. Yeah. Uh, cause I feel like it's so big that it, you know, it needs eight. Um, it, I wouldn't have been mad at it if it was 12 or 16, you know, but yeah. this is, this is where we're at. And so I'm excited to see this unfold. I'm excited. Um, I agree. They're they're very good at planting seeds. Um 
so I'm I'm wondering what seeds are going to grow into big, crazy, you know, action moments and plot points. And I'm interested to see what seeds may kind of remain covered until, you know, all this uh all the dust, you know, proverb proverbially settles. Yeah. And we see what comes after this. But as of now, we've got a very angry, very on the like Kariah's on the warpath. Yeah. She has started it. She, you know, she let Jenica have a sword right through the gut and now it is on. So let me ask you this. Do maybe like a prediction slash guess type of thing. Do you think any major characters are gonna die? I do. Are we gonna, you know, and by major I mean, you know, we we might see Jenica bite the dust in the next issue. Which would be a bummer because she's, you know, kind of slowly become a thing. And she also has the last, you know, handful of episodes been connecting with Casey. Yeah. But I'm I'm expecting to see some losses on the sides of the bad guys. But I'm worried about losses on the side of the good guys. Obviously. Yeah. No, I, I have my suspicions. Um, I don't necessarily want to say it out loud for fear of jinxing it. Okay. Either bad or good. Right. Um no matter I I I will say this. No matter who good or bad bites the dust, they always make the right choice on who it's going to be. For sure. You know, as far as like long form narrative goes. Mm-hmm. So um there are characters I don't want it to be, but um even that I would accept. Right, as hard as it would be, just because right. I know it, it's for the good of the long of the long term. For so, sure, I yeah, I'm gonna try to be brave, and I'm gonna make a few guesses. Okay, I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave the turtles off the table. Of course, um, we already the, got swerved once. We already got swerved once, and I can imagine some of them maybe getting grievously injured or something like that. But I'm gonna leave the turtles off the table, and I'm going to. I would be very surprised if by the end of City at War, we don't see the end of Bishop, because I feel like he's been around for a long time, he's been a thorn in everybody's side, and I feel like it's just about time, you know, for him to be dealt with. I wouldn't be surprised if we lose more than one mutanimal in in the fray. I wouldn't be surprised if we lose a couple of bad guys. You know, maybe Koyam, Bludgeon, um, maybe uh, Ocho, the big, like, mole or whatever. The, yeah. Yeah, that thing is. Um, I'm wondering if the neutrinos are going to get involved somehow. Because, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because that was something I didn't see coming. Was this issue 93 starts off with Fugitoid and the neutrinos, and Fugitoid's kind of like, uh-oh. And we're like, yeah. hmm. So having that, like... It's called City at War, but this very well might have some intergalactic friends showing up. Um, so yeah, and then I don't know, man. I'm just very, I'm very excited to see this uh, unfold. Issue ninety three was was great. It was definitely a page turner. Um, love the covers by Dave Walker. Is that how you say that? Guys? Yeah, Walker. Um, art by Dave Walker is is pretty solid all the way through um he does this interesting things 
he does an interesting thing with the turtles where they got kind of a like almost a beak, kind of a pronounced beak yeah, that I appreciate. Like the way a turtle would yeah, look in real life. Yeah, yeah. You don't always see it, but uh, I like his turtles. But so yeah, man, that is issue ninety three. I am very excited for issue ninety four. Uh, TJ, I appreciate you rolling through and talking turtles and turtles comics with me. We will definitely uh have you back. You will be what I. Probably you will be what I consider an irregular guest. I can imagine you being on here quite a bit. I'm often called irregular, so I'll take that. <laughs> Dope. So before we get out of here, let the people know where they can find you on social media. Right on. So uh, on Instagram, you can find me. Uh, Stars My Destination is my uh, name on there. No A in star, so just S-T-R-S. Uh, and then on Twitter, uh, stars my destination as well. Some variation of the spelling because yeah. So, um, you can find that on my Instagram as well. Just hit me up on there anytime. All right, dude. TJ, Dr. Shevlin. Thank you very much, buddy. Doctor's out of the house. Thank you. Later, bud. Later. All right, guys. That was the Ninja Turtles comic books episode of Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. Um, we, as you guys may have noticed, the podcast has kind of been uh, off and on of a hiatus while I work on this website and while I get new episodes going, but bear with me. Going to get this website going. It's going to be clean. It's going to be cool. Everything's going to get going steady, and I'm going to get back to just producing podcasts on top of podcast. Appreciate you guys for sticking with me. As always, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us pretty much wherever you find your podcast, wherever you listen to them. Just search us up, Booyaka Show. You can find me, your host, Zach Norris, on Instagram and Twitter, at ZosoTMNT. That's Z-O-S-O-T-M-N-T. As always, thank you guys for listening. Kawabunga, Booyaka Show, all that good stuff. Take it easy.